God's grace and peace to each of you, dear people, this morning, and welcome to this part of the service. I'm humbled to stand here before you. I'm humbled by your support uh, in attendance, in your pledge to pray, in the, the warmth that we felt in fellowship, in your generosity throughout the week. It's humbling, and I thank you for that. May God bless you for that. I've thought different times throughout the week about the foolishness of preaching. Paul writes about the foolishness of preaching. And he says that through the foolishness of preaching, people are saved. That's astounding. And that tells me that there is something behind our limited abilities that is powerful when we allow God to have His way in our lives. In many ways, I feel like an unlearned and ignorant man. And it, as we read in Acts 4.13, that that's what the people noticed in Peter and John as well. They were unlearned and ignorant. And yet they marveled because they could tell that those men had been with Jesus. You see, God has a great passion for His Word. And behind the foolishness of preaching is a God that is able to take a small lunch and multiply it in many ways so that many people are fed. And I praise God for that. That is nothing but the work of His Holy Spirit. And so as I think about that, I think about a verse in the Psalms that says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. In other words, we parents have a large responsibility and we are charged by God to care for our family and to nurture our family and to teach them in His ways. And yet, if God is not in the center of that, it's a failure. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it. And so this morning, I would like to especially focus on the parents and their responsibility in the home. But you young people and children, hold on for a moment. Before you push snooze, I have something I'd like to tell you. I would just like to kindly ask two things of you this morning. And the first is, I want you to put yourself in our shoes for just about 45 or 50 minutes this morning. Put yourself in our shoes. God has called us to a sobering responsibility as parents to, to nurture our children, to lead them in His ways. But the truth is, we've never done this before. And it's overwhelming. And by the time we learn it, you might be gone. You might not be in our care anymore. And so I just simply ask you for a few minutes to put yourself in our shoes and extend a little grace to us as dad and mom. And realize that we want to do the best we can through the power of God, but it's difficult. And I also, young people, just want to call you to consider your place in the home, what God has called you to do in the home. And that is to obey and to honor and I don't say that with a, a heavy-handed approach. 
I'm just gently calling you to remember that we each have our place to fill in the home. God is calling each of us to be faithful in, in our, our places. And God is calling you as children to obey and to honor, to respect dad and mom. I call you to Psalm 78 for a text this morning. Psalm 78, and I've titled the message, Our Responsibility to the Generation to Come. Our Responsibility to the Generation to Come. And our text is Psalm 78, the first eight verses. Follow along as I read. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Our responsibility to the generation to come. And I want to call your attention to the title of this psalm. Directly above this psalm in my Bible, I read, Maskell of Asaph. Asaph being the writer here. Maskell meaning a psalm of instruction. Literally, instructive. Now, we understand from the Scripture that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God would be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I believe we know that. We believe that. But when the Holy Spirit calls to our attention in a special way, then we should give the more earnest heed. This is a psalm of instruction. Immediately, we as parents, perhaps we as young couples who anticipate a family, Lord willing, need to give the more earnest heed to what God is speaking through these verses this morning. The writer here is reminding Israel of their responsibilities. And in fact, not just responsibilities, but their obligations to their children. And certainly this was not just a reminder for Israel, but it's a reminder for us this morning. It's for us today. You know, parents, I believe that we would all be wise to take more interest in raising our children. We would all be wise to put more heart into raising our children. It doesn't take long to see that our children are born with a sin nature. I found that fascinating uh, in the six children that the Lord has given us. But it's amazing how little they are 
when they first throw a fit, when they first, that little body gets stiff, when they throw something on the floor. It's amazing how soon that happens after they are born. And it just reminds me that we are all by nature the children of wrath. It's something that is passed down to us. Each child that is born within them has that, that rebellious nature, the old Adam within them. That is just a part of the human package. And so it is our responsibility as parents, in fact, it is a God-ordained responsibility to instruct them, to teach them with the goal that they come to know God and to love Him, to love His Word. As far as an outline for this morning, we'll look at it this way. First of all, the call to attention. Secondly, the commitment to the parents. Thirdly, the charge to the parents. Fourthly, the cry of the parents. And lastly, the catastrophe of the parents. And that speaks of tremendous loss. Tremendous loss. Because we're dealing with the eternal souls of our children. I ask you parents, do you have a focus? What is your focus in your home scene? Do you have a vision for your families? The Scripture says that where there is no vision, the people perish. And the same is true in our families. Where there is no godly vision, our children will perish. A godly offspring will cease to be where there is no godly vision in focus. And so God is looking for dads and moms today who are committed to passing on the faith to the next generation. God is looking for dads and moms who take seriously the weight of this responsibility. God is looking for dads and moms who hear the Word of God and then consistently apply it, first of all, in their hearts and then in their homes. But it starts with dads and moms who are surrendered to God and to His Word personally. And then flowing out of that comes a vision for their children for the next generation. Jesus said, Blessed are they who hear the Word of God and keep it. And that brings us to our first point, and that is the call to attention. We find this in the first several verses of Psalm 78. The call to attention, and the writer here, in essence, says, Hear me! Listen up! I have something very important to tell you. I'm going to share with you some lessons from the past. Some truths that may be hard to believe. They may be hard to grasp. They speak of God's greatness. They speak of His goodness. They speak of His power. They speak of His love to a very undeserving people. And as we would read through this whole passage of Psalm 78, we would see over and over there is this cycle. This cycle. And through it all, we see a tremendous display of God's mercy and God's grace. God's mercy is, is Him withholding from us what we do deserve. God's grace is God giving us everything we don't deserve. God's mercy and grace. And it is just full through this passage. It's an amazing thing. 
And so the psalmist here opens by saying that I'm going to speak to you in a parable. I'm going to speak to you in dark sayings of old. What is he referring to? Well, we often consider parables or dark sayings to be truths that are difficult to discern. Maybe they take some extra effort for us to grasp them, to really understand the thrust there. But yet when they are understood, they make a very deep impression of what is being intended, what is being represented. And you understand from the Gospels that Jesus often taught by parable. He spoke parables to the people. And the Scripture says that that He would do that as a way of sort of sorting through the audience. As a way of maybe weeding out those who were just along for the ride. Just along for the good things they could get out of Jesus. The food. The, you know, the quote, entertainment. Watching people be raised from the dead and miracles, miracles and all of that. Jesus used parables to see who was truly sincere. Those who were truly sincere would go to the hard work of understanding and grasping, pondering. Ah, yes. Those who weren't fell by the wayside. They didn't get it. And so in this passage, it's not that the words or concepts are very hard to understand. They're rather straightforward. It's not as hard to understand as maybe some parables. But yet, dear people, it's hard for us to fathom that that unending mercy of God, that long-suffering attitude of God that He has towards the people that are far from worthy. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around that. In fact, look at what we read in verse 38. But He, that is God, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned He His anger away, and God did not stir up all His wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. Even though their hearts were not right, even though they provoked him, even though they mocked him, yet God had mercy. We are not worthy of that. And so when we read this, maybe that helps us understand partly what Asaph was saying. I'm going to speak to you in parables. I'm going to speak some dark sayings. It is hard to wrap your mind around this. Let's just notice here two reasons why we should be all ears. And the first is because God is speaking. God is calling for our undivided attention. This is not just some man out there. Asaph, who is that? What a funny name. This is his perspective. No, this is God speaking through Asaph, the pen of Asaph, and he is speaking to us. He's saying, listen up. I have something important to share with you. And I ask you, When God speaks, should we not listen? Absolutely. And then secondly, this is a message that has been passed down from generation to generation. And that generally means it's important. The stories that are passed down from generation to generation are important. Those are the ones that intentional effort is put into. We want to remember these. We want to remember these. This is something we don't want to forget. This is a message here that not only calls us to remember the faithfulness of God in the past, but then it also challenges us today to respond to Him with a heart of love and gratitude. 
And I just want to pause for a moment and mention the value of telling stories in your family. Telling stories. It's very possible that there are stories within your family that have been passed down. Perhaps your dead mom have told you stories about when they were a little boy or a little girl, or maybe about grandma and grandpa, about how God did this amazing thing for them, or how God spared them from a a seemingly disastrous situation, or do you remember when we were lost and we couldn't find our way and all of a sudden someone showed up and things like that. And I'm saying, tell those stories. Keep those stories alive in your family. Don't let those stories die. Those stories that point to the greatness of God, the power of God, they have a way of engendering faith in the next generation. You know, it's like little Johnny saying, oh, I like God. And dad says, yes, Johnny. And one day you will learn to love me. I say it has a way of engendering faith in the next generation. Tell those stories. And so we are to listen closely as we consider this call to attention. Secondly, then, in verse 4, we notice the commitment of the parents Verse 4, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. The parents' commitment here is shown by their resolve. They say, we will not hide, to, we will not hide from our children the truths that have been passed down to us. No, we will not hide them, but we will show them. Now, I find it interesting that the definition for hide is that of conceal. We will not conceal these truths from our children. We understand that. But what I find very sobering is that embedded in that word, embedded in the definition is something much more serious. And that is to destroy. To cut down. To make desolate. You see, within that definition, we have the effect of hiding. We have the effect of concealing. And we don't like to think of it that way. Oh, I'm not intending to destroy my children. I'm not intending to make them desolate. But the the implication is here that when we are not faithful and and actually uh, intentional in passing on truth, we are putting our children in a very vulnerable position. We are putting them in a place where they are left desolate. They are not then, then prepared to face life. We will not hide these things from our children, but the psalmist says we will show to them the power of God. We will show to them the praises of God. And that word showing literally means to score tally marks. Catch that. To score tally marks. It has this this picture in my mind of every time God does something good for us, we, we put another mark on the page. Put another mark. Did you see what God did today? Did you hear about that answered prayer? And it's, it's this picture of parents that are regularly bringing to their children what God is doing. That that wasn't just luck. 
That wasn't just, wow, did you see I got through that? Whew. No, it was, did you see what God did? Score. <laughs> did you see how God answered that? Score. In fact, our whole lives should be page after page of tally marks showing to the next generation what God is doing in our lives. The committed parent will take seriously their responsibility to relay to their children the power of God and His Word. And I ask us some questions. How often do we hide these truths from our children? And by hiding, once again, I don't mean the act of intentionally keeping it from them, but how often do we, by our lack of intention or by careless neglect, do we bypass golden opportunities to teach them valuable truths? Oh, it's so easy to let those moments slip by. So easy. I confess. But how often do we rob them or limit them in their understanding and knowledge of God's faithfulness or His mighty power by failing to do our part? Once again, putting them in a vulnerable position. Maybe... Maybe it's that attitude of, of being over-restrictive, which we as parents, in our, our means of perhaps protecting our children, we, we struggle to trust God with, with letting them go. And so we, we sort of shelter them in a way that is, that is overly restrictive. And in that they are being kept from experiencing mighty things. We as parents, in our zeal to keep our children, can sometimes get in God's way of taking them to deeper waters. We can limit them. We can rob them from great experiences. This is not only the responsibility of the parents, but turn back a couple pages in Psalms to Psalm 71. I noticed that the grandparents also have a role to play in this thing of passing on the faith to the next generation. Psalm 71, verses 17 and 18. Here the psalmist David is writing, and he says, O oh God, Thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have shown thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is come. This is the reflections of an elderly man. A man who is looking back and, and remembering how God has been with him through his youth. And now he's reflecting on that. He says, God, please don't let me die. Don't let me go off the scene until I have had the opportunity to share your power and your glory with those that come after me. You see, that's not something just for the parents, but that is something that you as grandparents can be a part of as well. Take that to heart. You still have a valuable impact on those little ones that come after you. The committed parent will also take time uh, to explain to his children why we do the things we do. Why do we do the things we do? In this congregation, in this conference that we're a part of, why do we take the stand that we do? The various positions. Why do we do what we do? 
And you know the easy answer. Because the church said we should do that. And I ask you, does that engender faith in the next, congreg- in the next generation? Does that help them to internalize the principle? It does not. What that does, it tells them that the church is a monster, okay? And that you need to do what the church says. Don't ask questions. Just do it. And yet, dear people, there is, there is so much deeper things than that, that, in fact, we must get to the heart of the matter. We must take our children to the person of Jesus Christ and to the principle of His Word. It is through that, flowing out of that, comes an understanding and a desire then to be in surrender and submission. It starts from the inside out. And too many times we work in a way that is counterproductive and we try to sort of beat our young ones into submission and they never grasp it from the heart. You see, giving our children solid biblical answers to their questions is a key to developing personal conviction in their lives. Take them to the Word. Take them to the Word. And so, you know, our children may ask us, you know, Dad, Mom, why do we take a stand against voting, against government participation? Dad, why can't I go see the Cavaliers play football? Like, why can't I do that? And I may respond something like this. You know, boys, as far as the game of football itself, the fundamentals of the game are, are really amoral. It's not so much that that I'm concerned about, but it's what's surrounding that game. It's the package. It's the worldview surrounding that event. You are choosing to party in the world's playground. And in that playground, you will find music that influences your eternal soul. You will find immodesty that influences your eternal soul. You will find a whole worldview that goes in that is in in contrast to God's desire for your life. And that's what I'm concerned about, first and foremost. That has the impact to take you away from a surrendered position to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those influences. Mom, why can't I watch that movie? Why, Why do we have such a different practice on Sunday than a lot around us? What is your answer? How do you answer those children in those questions? Take them to the Word of God, dear people. Highlight the principles behind the practice. You see, weak responses like, well, I don't know. I don't know. Just, yeah, I'm not sure. That is not only missed opportunity uh, to impart truth, but that encourages them to go somewhere else for the answers. And they will. They will go somewhere else for the answers. Is that okay with you? Who do you want to teach your children? If you do not give them answers that meet their needs, someone else will. God help The Word of God says that we are to be ready always to, to give an answer to every man that asks us of the reason of the hope that is in us with meekness and fear. And I, and I say, if we are not able to answer our children in these matters, how could we possibly then have the strength and the understanding 
to live out that verse, to answer all others that come and ask us why we do what we do. I say in many ways, our personal lives and our homes are the, are the, are the staging area for what God calls us to outside the doors of our house. Thank Him for that. In many ways, it's His mercy that He uses that as a way of preparing us and strengthening us to then be more able to fully uh, pursue the rest. Turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. As we think about the commitment of the parents to answer the children. Exodus 12 verse 26. And here we have uh, the context of observing the Passover. Verse 26. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service? that ye shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when He smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed the head and worshipped. Do you see that beautiful response? That beautiful response. And that is the cry of every parent this morning. (laughs) That we would have our children respond in that kind of a way. But it doesn't happen by saying, well, I don't know. The church said to do it. No, but it is taking them back to the principle. Taking them back to the power of God and saying, what we do flows out of that. And they bowed the head and worshipped. That's beautiful. Turn a page to Exodus 13 in verses 8 and 9. And as we read these, I'm going to give three examples here from Scripture And there's something that is absolutely central in each of these examples that I want you to grasp, and I'll highlight in a moment. Exodus 13, verses 8 and 9. And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be a sign unto thee upon thine hand, and for a memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. Do you see that? Do you see that engendering faith? Okay, that it may be in thy mouth, for with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Now let's move down to verse 14. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this that thou shalt say unto him? By strength of hand the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage, and it shall come, and it come to, I'm sorry, and it came to pass when Pharaoh would hardly let us go that the Lord slew all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all that openeth the matrix, being males, but all the firstborn of my children I redeem. And it shall come, and it shall be for a token upon thine hand and for frontlets between thine eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. One more. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Are you catching it? There's something central in each of these examples. Something central that's at the heart of it all. Deuteronomy 6, and starting at verse 20. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then shalt thou say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand 
And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in. Isn't that wonderful? He brought us out that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swear unto our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. Okay, so, so what, what was at the heart? What was central? And, and, and it wasn't just that the sons were asking. No, that's not what I'm getting at. There's something greater than that. At the center of all of that is deliverance. It's deliverance. The dads are saying to the children, it's because God brought us out. It's because I've been delivered. Therefore, this flows out of that. Why we do what we do, why we believe what we believe, our life flows out of the fact that we have been delivered by the strong hand of God. Dear people, that means everything. Everything that you practice and preach, teach in your home should flow out of that foundational position of salvation and what God has done for you. And so the scripture says that as he which hath called you is holy, be ye holy in all manner of conversation or every way you live your life should be holy or should be separate because of God. He is holy and he is calling you to then also a way of life, holiness. The scripture says that we ought to show forth the praises of him who hath what? Called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Yes, our lives should just be ringing with that reality that God has called us out that he may bring us in to that marvelous light. And so not only do these verses point to deliverance, to salvation, but they point to the fact that God did it. It shows God's strength, not something that I can do. But what is happening in my life, the good that you see in me, the blessings that we are experiencing are because of God and God alone. And that helps keep things in their proper perspective. That is a means of convincing the children as we think of engendering faith in the next generation. The commitment of the parents. And so as we look back in, in our text there in Psalm 78, what was to be made known there in verse 4? The praises of the Lord, His strength, His wonderful works. To whom? To the generation to come. By whom? By the parents from one generation to another. And how should it be made known? First of all, by hiding nothing but declaring everything that God has done. And so I ask you this morning, uh, what kind of atmosphere surrounds your home? Is it one where the goodness and the greatness of God is often mentioned? Is that the theme that flows through your home? I quote, A knowledge of the past dealings of God should be communicated by parents to their children as a means of leading them to adore Him and preparing them to transmit the knowledge of His perfections to those that come after them. 
And so what you have here is a perpetual proclamation that starts with dad and mom for the purpose of then engendering faith in their, in their children and then so that they embody that, internalize that, and they then pass it on to their... And it's a perpetual proclamation of the goodness and greatness of God. The psalmist says, One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. One generation to another. That is the call of God through the ages of time. That is how the stories of God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's power, salvation are transmitted from the heart, from generation to generation. Thirdly then, here in Psalm 78, we have the charge to the parents. And we find this in verse 5. The charge to the parents. If you are a sincere Christian parent this morning, then you will be quick to understand that the responsibilities of teaching your children about God and His Word, uh, the responsibilities of, of, of helping them to come to the place of love for the church is not an option. At least it's not in God's eyes. It's not an option. And yet we hear so many excuses. Well, my work schedule just makes it really difficult to have consistent family devotions. Like I leave early in the morning and you know, I don't get home till later in the evening. And it's just difficult to have consistent family devotions. I mean, we will if we can, but I see. Okay, so the job trumps teaching God's Word to the children. Okay, uh, that'll, that'll show. Or, you know, maybe, you know, I just don't know how to sing very well. I mean, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. It's just something that I didn't learn in school. And so our family, we just don't sing. But did you know that singing is one of the greatest tools in spiritual warfare? Did you know that? Do you understand that you are robbing your children? You are limiting your children in tremendous ways by not making singing a part of your family atmosphere. In a sense, that is rendering them desolate spiritually. I encourage you in that. Or you may hear, you know, I just don't have a gift for teaching. I mean, it's, it's hard for me to, to teach the word to my children. It just doesn't come natural. You know what happens in some homes? So then the mom takes that responsibility. The mom takes that responsibility. Dear people, that is detrimental to those boys, those young men in the family. When dad cops out of his responsibility, his God-ordained responsibility, and mom has to pick it up. That is damaging, tremendously damaging to a home. And that starts then a chain of reactions that goes into the years ahead. Verse 5, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Let's notice a couple examples here in the scripture at other places about our responsibility to teach our children. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And starting at verse 9. 
we read, Only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons, especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. Now, notice there in verse 9, he says, Don't forget the things. And immediately we say, Well, what things? Don't forget what things? Well, that takes us back uh, to verses 7 and 8. And there in 7 and 8, we read that, first of all, what nation is there so great on this earth that God hears them, that God is so close to them that He hears them and answers their prayer? Is there any other nation on the earth like that? No, there's not. Secondly then, in verse 8, what nation is there on this earth that has such righteous decrees, such righteous laws, laws that actually, that actually truly benefit the people? that are a blessing to them. Is there another nation like that? No, that's the answer. There's no God like that. There's no other nation like that. There's nothing like that except in the kingdom of God. Okay, and so then out of that, he says, don't forget to teach your children that. Don't forget to pass that on to them. Turn a couple pages to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. In verse 2, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Now move down to verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently. That speaks of purpose, intentionality. Teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Do you see that? It is to be a way of life. This teaching God's Word is not something that is just reserved for Sunday morning, or for Wednesday night, or for summer Bible school, or for some formal activity. But God says here that this thing of teaching God's Word, teaching a perspective of God, is to be something that happens in the daily, everyday, ordinary thing of life, okay? As we're going about the day, as we're working outside together, as we're cleaning the house, as we're washing dishes, as we are going on a trip, whatever it may be, God's Word is to be taught. Everyday life is to be an avenue for teaching God's Word. And I say once again, how easy it is to miss those opportunities. It seems they pass by so quickly. Remember the resolve of the committed parent? They said, we will not hide these things from our children, but we will show them, we will talk about them, we will teach them. That's the resolve of the committed parent. And so committed parents will take this seriously, not only out of love for their children and out of love for the future generations, but even more because God commanded it. This is God's command to his people. 
Fourthly, then, as we move back to our text, we hear the cry of the parents, and we find this in verses 6 and 7. The cry of the parents. And I believe this morning that at the heart of every sincere Christian parent is that desire for their children to walk in the ways of God. That is their heart cry. That is their ultimate goal. That's what they want more than anything. Oh, that my little son would learn to love the Lord. Oh, that he would have a zeal for God's word. Oh, that he would grow to be a godly leader in his home or church or in the environment around him. Oh, that my little daughter would grow up to be surrendered to the Lord and be a woman of beauty, a woman of purity and holiness. I say that is the cry of every sincere Christian parent. And yet, where is our focus? Where is our focus? You see, before we have children, uh, we can be a little self-centered. You know, we, we do what we want to do. We go where we want to go. There's not much resistance. We just sort of do those things. But as I look out here and I think about myself, for us as parents, uh, we're adults. We're adults. And we have made the choice to have children. It's something that we have chosen to do. And along with that comes a focus that must shift away from ourselves and what we've wanted to do and how we've wanted to, you know, orchestrate our lives, perhaps, to now our focus is on the children. How can I raise godly children? What is my part in all of that? You see, we're here for our children. And so along with that, then comes the necessity uh, to put away some of those dreams, perhaps, that we've had. Maybe it's that bucket list we've always had. It's going to have to be put aside. Why? Because now I'm here for my children. You see, selfish parents really make for sorry parents. They do. And so here in these verses 6 and 7, we have the cry of the parents. And that is, first of all, that they would know. That they would know. So once again, it's not just me. But I am passing on to the next generation what I have learned, what I have embodied. I am now desiring that they internalize that. So the cry is that they would know. And that's an intimate word. It speaks of a personal knowledge that is fleshed out in the way that I live my life. That's what I want for my child. I want it to be real with them. You see, this is no longer just my faith, but it's their faith. I want them to come to that place. And then it reads here that they would arise and declare. And within that, I see a sense of urgency. Uh, the seriousness of this responsibility now has been, has been passed on to them. And now they have come to the point where they sense the sense of urgency of passing it on. So it's no longer just my faith, but it's their faith in a way that they have now internalized it to the point where they have conviction for it, and they also then want to pass it on. And then we read that they would set. That's the cry of the parent, that they would set. And that's a person who has a solid foundation. That's a person who is settled. They live a life of conviction. You see, the person of Jesus Christ and the principles 
have now been personalized with them. They have said, that's mine. That's mine. It's no longer the faith of my fathers. It's my faith. That they would not forget. This person has been instructed well. The teaching and training that has been given this child has been effective to the point where they will not forget, but it's embedded in their minds. And then the cry of the parent is that they would keep. And I picture there a person who has received something of tremendous value. In fact, to them, it's priceless. They would never give it up. They would never let down, but they're going to endure. They're going to keep it. Something of tremendous price. I think of the psalm, Psalm 127. I began with it uh, this morning. The last verse of Psalm 127 says, Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Now, what does that mean? We're not talking about arrows, per se, although we're thinking of children. We're thinking of mighty man with a bow that is launching arrows. In other words, he's launching children. As, as parents, we are preparing our children to be effective in the world. It's kind of like that greenhouse effect that we talked about perhaps last evening, where we are preparing them for greater purposes outside. But do you notice what it says? It says, they shall not be ashamed. Who is it talking about? The parents? No, the children. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed. And they shall speak or they will contend with the enemies in the gate. And so I'm saying that how we craft and how we tune our little arrows is absolutely foundational to, first of all, how they view themselves. And then secondly, their effectiveness in spiritual battle. How we, I'll say that again. How we craft, how we tune our little arrows is absolutely foundational. For, first of all, how they view themselves. They shall not be ashamed, but also how effective they are in spiritual battle. It goes back to how we are teaching, how we are instructing the atmosphere in our home. It means everything to preparing those children for what God has in store for them. And so when we are faithful in taking them to God's word, when we are faithful by example and teaching them truth, we then make them confident. They are confident through the power of God to then go out and contend with the devil to go out and confront the things of immorality. They've been strengthened for that purpose. I trust that that is the cry of your heart this morning as a Christian parent. And I ask you, you know, how bad do you want it? You see, the faith is not going to be passed on by accident. It's going to take a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Dear people, it's going to take a lot of prayer. And so I ask us as parents, are we truly committed? Are we willing to give up our personal pursuits for the future of our children? Are we willing to humbly own up uh, to our failures in front of our children and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I ask you for your forgiveness. Dad made a mistake there. Dad wronged you there. Will you forgive me? Do we understand that the influences that we allow in our homes have the power and potential to make or break our children's future? 
You see, if we're not able to answer those questions in a positive way, then we ought not be surprised when we wake up and find our children in verse 8. We ought not be surprised. And here we find the catastrophe of the parents. Once again, speaking of tremendous loss, it's been said that at the heart of every problem is a problem in the heart. And that's true for many dads today. It was for these back years ago. In fact, we read this in verse 37. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. The scripture says here in verse 8, they might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Like father, like son. They say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so, when I see my children, in many ways I am looking into the mirror. I'm looking into the mirror. I'm seeing myself. And oh, how this hurts my heart to imagine my son or my daughter being in this place. But at the same time, I understand well my shortcomings. And I see the old man coming to the surface in my life far too often. And yet I understand that our children learn primarily by example. It shouldn't surprise me. They do learn primarily by example. And yes, our children will have to decide for themselves whom they will serve. Let us never underestimate the power, the influence of our example in the home. And time after time, we find in the Bible the formula for raising Godly children. And that formula is to be godly parents. It's rather straightforward. Godly parents typically engender faith in the next generation. Out of godly parents comes godly children. I understand once again that children ultimately want to make that decision for themselves. But you know, alarmingly, the opposite is not always true. Ungodly children are sometimes the result of, of not necessarily ungodly parents, but simply negligent parents. And yet, from Hebrews chapter 2 last evening, we understand that that is a serious issue in and of itself. Yes, negligent parents who are not fulfilling their God-ordained responsibility. I say, may God help us to be dads and moms who understand the importance of our character and the seriousness of our own decisions as it relates to the future of our children. It's been said that the measure of a man's character is not what he gets from his ancestors, but what he leaves his descendants. That is the measure of a man's character. You see, faithful descendants don't just happen. But instead, they often start with parents who fear the Lord 
who love His Word and are committed to passing on the faith to the next generation. And so may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. May God help us to be faithful in this God-ordained responsibility. God help us. Let's pray.